The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. I'm just trying to find a way to focus my passion of wanting to help others in a way that I can see more of the impact of what I'm actually doing to serve others. So how do you handle honoring a drive to move fast and innovate and make change to be a visionary in your work when you're also operating in a system that seems to adopt change at a very slow pace, if ever? Today's listener, Brandy, sets up a really relatable scenario where, as a visionary in her industry, she feels frustrated by the slow-moving pace of systemic progress. She wants to find a home for her sparkotype drives of nurturer and advocate, but feels unfulfilled and bogged down in the day-to-day tasks of her job and volunteer roles. And she poses the question, how do you find a way to spotlight a yearning for helping others in a way that feels more impactful and step away from the minutia of day-to-day tasks in a culture and system that doesn't easily support a different approach? And whether you share her sparkotypes or a completely different set, we have all experienced a similar challenge. And on deck with me this week from the Spark Brain Trust to help tease out what really matters and share insights and ideas is multi-time founder and CEO of Jada Selner Media, the co-creator of Simple Green Smoothies, Social and Business Phenomenon, sought after advisor to entrepreneurs and best-selling author. Quick note, you'll hear us mention something we call spark types in conversation. Well, what is that? Turns out we all have a unique imprint for work that makes us come alive. This is your spark type. When you discover yours, everything, your entire work life, even parts of your personal and relationships make more sense. And until you know it well, we're kind of fumbling in the dark. And just like today's listener did, you can discover your Sparkotype for free at sparkotype.com. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now on to Brandy's story in question. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked. Hi, Jonathan and the Spark team. This is Brandy calling from Virginia. I work in the field of human services as a mid-level manager at a nonprofit that provides services to older adults. I've only been with the agency for three years and have worked in the role that I'm currently in for just under a year. My sparkotype is the nurturer. My shadow sparkotype is the advocate. And my anti-sparkotype is the performer. Um, I often find myself at this crossroad of feeling really just kind of bogged down and burnt out by the day-to-day mundane task at most of the jobs that I have worked in. I've always had a heart and passion for serving other people, but throughout my life and especially into my my professional career, I've never really honed in on in what capacity I'd like to serve others or what really feels meaningful to me. I am um, a sensitive person at times and fairly introverted, but I can also be very social and outgoing. I also think that I am a visionary thinker, but I tend to get bogged down in how long it takes to actually make things happen and the slow moving system of working in human services. 
So I guess the main thing is I really am just trying to find a direction focused to feed the nurturing and advocate side of myself. I often look for opportunities and groups outside of work where that I can give back and serve, but I often find those not very fulfilling as well. And I'm just trying to find a way to focus my passion of wanting to help others in a way that I can see more of the impact of what I'm actually doing to serve others and not be stuck in the day-to-day task. I really appreciate you taking this call and listening to my questions and can't wait to hear what advice you have. Thanks, Jonathan. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Uh, I love this. So number of different places that we can go. Um, and there are a couple of different things that she said, a bunch of different things that she said. I think we're both kind of nodding along a little bit and wanted to jump in in different places. Funny enough, like the thing... That- for me, because I'm like, I hate friction so much. And, um, and I just like the maker in me is just like, get it done. Like when she mentioned that part, I was like, ah, oh. I remember back to times where I was working in massive organizations or like giant government bureaucracies. And like, you had to just jump through so many hoops and there's so many layers and there was so much inefficiency and so much politics. And, and I was just like, ah, oh. I felt like I couldn't breathe within that ecosystem, but we can circle back to that. Yeah. Why don't we start out by just sort of commenting quickly on uh, Brandy's Sparkatype profile. So she shared that her primary, meaning her strongest impulse for work that sparks her, makes her come alive, is the nurturer. That impulse, it's all about elevating others. It's lifting people up. It's giving care. It's taking care. It is a fiercely outward facing impulse, which also can lead people to depletion if they don't turn it on themselves as well. Her shadow or her runner up Sparkatype, she said, is the advocate. And the advocate's impulse is all about shining a light. It's about championing ideas, ideals, individuals, communities. Also a very external outflow oriented sparkotype. In fact, in the sort of like the spectrum of 10 different impulses or imprints that are process driven versus service driven, the advocate and the nurturer are the two most service driven. 
Um, so you literally have to be in relation with others to feel fully expressed. And then she said her anti-sparker type, meaning the type of work that's the heaviest lift that empties you the most, requires the greatest recovery. That is the performer, which is all about animating, enlivening, energizing moments, experiences, interactions. And by the way, that also shows up as the most prevalent anti-sparker type when we look at the broad data of over 700,000 people now globally. So that's our starting point. What's calling to you as a jumping off point from there? Yeah, well, I think that Brandy has a really clear sense of being a visionary thinker. So of course, the mundane tasks are going to be draining and depleting. And so that's something to just get curious around in her her work, that looking for roles and things that have that type of orientation of the majority of 80% of your work is the work that is very depleting and draining. So it got me curious in her possibly exploring models. That was kind of what was coming up for me because it sounds like she actually is experimenting outside of work, trying things on, throwing spaghetti at the wall, which is amazing. And she still hasn't quite found something that sticks yet. And so there were two things that were coming up for me. One is searching for models. Are there any roles or companies or things that inspire her, draw her, that she could actually be in an interview conversation with someone of something that she might be interested in, in trying to kind of expand that visionary thinker in her. And then another thing that was coming up was around brainstorming and just having like creating a dream bank of just playing some some music, some instrumental music for like 10 minutes and being able to just write all the possibilities of what she might want to do so that she has a bigger list to kind of experiment and play with. And I think that ideating, coming up with ideas, like you were sharing about the advocate, um, you know, playing with ideas and then the nurturer playing with people. Um, how could she start to brainstorm some of those ideas of where she's engaging with people and also with ideas? And I just Again, the mundane tasks is on the opposite spectrum of the big ideas. Yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting point, right? Because if you're wired also in sort of like a, a visionary orientation and you're a big picture thinker, and by the way, there's nothing wrong, um, like there's nothing great or horrible about that orientation. It's just some of us tend to like go there and that's where we come most fully alive and also where often our biggest contributions are and some love to get into the weeds and like into the details and the granular systems and process and stuff like that. Um, that would not be me, by the way. I'm definitely more on the big think visionary side of things. Um, but you bring up a really interesting point, which is that if that's also one of the drivers for you feeling fulfilled and satisfied and fully expressed and your day-to-day -day work doesn't really, not only does it not allow for it, but it kind of locks you into a paradigm where you're very granular and very task oriented and very, you're working within a larger system where you, you literally don't really have an opportunity to access that or to bring it to what you're doing. That can be this additional driver of depletion on top of the fact that you don't feel like your primary and that your, your spark types, that your, her nurture impulse and her advocate impulse are able to be fully expressed anyway. So it's almost like there's a triple stifling happening. I, I didn't even pick up on that. You pointed that out and it's like, okay, so we're layering things on now that at least in the beginning help, help give context and explanation to why you might be feeling a certain way. There's actually more going on than, than meets the eye on the surface. You brought up this idea of models um, and I've heard that word used in a number of different ways. I've heard it used when we're talking about an individual who you might look at how they've created their life, their relationships, their job, whatever it is, and then 
learn from them, try and reverse engineer? Or does that model work with the way that I might actually step into those domains? I've also heard it used in the context of like larger systems, a model of a job or an organization or a culture that I might step into. I'm curious what's like, tell me, tell me how you're using it. Yeah, for me, I can share it in terms of of business model, right? I create like a peanut butter and jelly list, which is models that I might be jealous by. It's usually an an inclination of, oh, I actually might want that or I want Mm. to try that on. And so when I'm looking to shift a model and how I deliver my services inside business, then I start looking at, well, who are the people that I'm inspired by or and how are they delivering? And I, I really like, I Google and I look at the website or the structure and I really trying to figure out like, what is their whole ecosystem of how they show up from a marketing perspective and how they deliver paid products and services? So I'm becoming a bit of a mad scientist or, or it doesn't have to be a mad scientist, just a scientist um, to kind of unpack and, and and pull apart the pieces. And then it's almost like I'm reassembling which parts of these would I actually want to play with and then kind of put the pieces back together in a way that would fit for me. So, for example, you might. I might be looking at someone who is a speaker and an author, and that's like their main revenue stream, or someone who is a coach and a consultant. So I'm trying, or someone who sells a physical product or courses. So I'm trying to look at the pieces and and really see would this work for for me and how I want to express and share. So it's really research for me. That's how I'm looking at it. Is kind of what's a model that I could possibly replicate or how can I unpack it and then rearrange it in a way that would work for my orientation and how I like to show up and what energizes me. Yeah, I love that. So um, you look at it in the context of business models. I think we could also, you know, call that um, on a, just an individual level, career models. You know, if you look at the people who are out there that in some way, shape or form seem like they have a similar orientation to you, they're driven by similar things and they're, they've built a career that you look at and you're like, there's something about that that I think I would love if I was in my version of that. Like, what can I learn about that? You know, I think we tend to look at that a lot in the context of businesses or companies or startups, because that's the world that we've both lived in on and off for years. But it also really applies, like you're saying, to just an individual, not just to an individual who's looking at like, what are, who are the people? Mm-hmm. Um, as you were saying that, it was interesting because so in addition to the Spark podcast, I've been incredibly blessed to you know host this other show, Good Life Project, for a decade now, which has given me the opportunity to sit down with so many astonishing people who have been successful in nearly every domain in life. And I found myself involuntarily doing that to nearly every single one where like, and what I found is that of the 10 years of incredible human beings I've had the opportunity to sit down with, there are probably about five where we walked out of the studio and I said to myself, there's something about not just who they are as an individual, not just the the great work that they've been doing, but about the way that they've put together their careers, their work, their livelihood and their life that I could completely see myself doing and learning from. And I want to deconstruct, well, like, like, what is it mm. that made me resonate with the model of how they've crafted their career so powerfully? So I think it's, it's an amazing invitation to do that. Is there an example of one that you can that you did pull apart? Yeah, I mean, so probably on the more recent side, Michael Pollan. Mm. So, you know, he's a journalist, author, writes these 
big giant tomes of books. But also, you know, the last one was about psychedelics. He's written a book about the food system in the country. He's written about how to bake the perfect loaf of bread. And his approach is, you know, he lives he lives in a beautiful town in a wonderful house. They have a garden out back. He's married and his wife paints and then he gardens and and then he spends years immersing himself in the pursuit of a deep fascination, not just studying it and interviewing people, but he actually makes himself a part of the action. And then he, he's on this personal discovery quest and he's just kind of taking notes along the way for years until it sort of like culminates in something that he feels is enough to actually create a bigger piece of work you know, where there's value, where there's art, and that turns into a book. And he's pretty much invisible to the world while he's doing this whole thing. He's just pursuing, he's jamming and pursuing and writing. And um, and then he writes a book, which generally is a really big book, releases it out to the world. He's really public for a couple of months around that to promote it and speak. And then he kind of vanishes away. And, you know, in like three to five years, there's going to be something else like that that happens. And there was so much about that, that just deeply resonated um, to me. And I spent really spent some time. I'm like, what can I learn? Not just about the topic that he had most recently written about in that conversation. It was about the world of psychedelics, but about the way that he's chosen to craft his living and his life. And that was a really interesting model for me, using your language, to just learn from. I've often thought it'd be interesting to literally have a podcast just about that. <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> I love it. I think for Brandy, that's a great invitation of getting to discover how people live and craft their lives and careers is through listening to podcast conversations, but could also even be super internal within her current company. There could be a, a role inside the company that would actually help Brandy illustrate her and strengthen her gifts and what she's really lit up about. Also, I've known people, I, I have a friend who works at Salesforce and actually created his own role within the company and presented it. And they're like, sure. And I know Brandy was almost minimizing her three years of experience when I'm like, that's a lot, especially for a visionary thinker to like stay in. And and she's even pivoted her her role within the company. So it could also be within the current structure that she's in to explore what's happening within there, having conversations with coworkers or colleagues who might be doing more relating and connecting with other people and ideas versus being in the mundane tasks and could even explore, you know, with the ERGs and how could there be some mentorship opportunities within her own company that she works for. Yeah, I, I love that. And also the notion that, because I think a lot of people start to wonder, like, what's the next move for me? And they think immediately, well, I have to leave the company or the organization that I'm at to get the feeling that I want. And so often, and sometimes you do, but so often it's such a strong impulse to just kind of start over that it stops us from really just looking at what is available to us within where we are. And it may, it may be doing the exact same work that you're doing differently, mm. like really being super intentional about like, if I showed up, like what, what could I do within the context of my, my role, my job right now, where I could bring more of my nurturing impulse, more of my advocates impulse to this work, like in literally like one way every day, just a little bit one way every day. And then the second wing, you know, how could I add one more thing to it? And often you can look at like what tasks or activities or processes could I do in a more nurturing way? Or how could I then potentially, what else needs to be done mm -hmm. that would allow me to express this thing 
for no other reason than the way that it makes me feel. Sometimes you do have to actually step outside of you know your context, but I found that very often because we don't really look for them. We don't, and because we don't even, might not even believe it's possible. So we don't see the things that are much more available to us. Have, have you seen that as well? Yeah. And I, I think it's the invitation is to get clear on what you really want. And that's Brandy's getting to that of here are my strengths and here, are, here's my spark type. Um, but there is an impulse to want to kind of burn it all down or burn the bridges and leave. But when you have a livelihood and, and, and need to survive and also thrive within, in the construct of the world that we live in, um, that we do have to find ways to what I said, like bloom where you're planted, right? There's that saying of, of bloom where you're planted. Oftentimes when something's not working, we want to flee. We want to run away. I actually remember wanting to do that. I wanted to move to a third world country when I was starting um, my second online uh, business. And I noticed um, I had I remember having a conversation with my husband in the living room and I was like, we always leave. We always like when something's hard or it's not the way that we want it, then we like that's my impulse from childhood is to kind of flee, run away, start over, start anew. That must be easier. But then it creates all these new variables um, that it's like, okay, well, then what school is Zoe going to go to? Where are we going to live? Like then now we have all these other problems to solve, not just the one that it's like make more money. Then there's all these other nuances. And it's like, what if we just renew our lease for one more year, commit to stay right here and have a solid foundation and build from this place. And that's when everything took off for me inside my business, because I didn't create all these variables of uncertainty um, and allowed myself to have some consistency and stability around me so that this one thing that I was trying to figure out was the only uncertain variable in in the pot. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I've, I've found that we consistently, and look, I'm raising my hand here also for this, <laughs> we, we consistently overestimate the glee that we'll feel when we flee and we underestimate the pain that we'll have to endure caused by the disruption that we don't believe will actually happen. And and sometimes again, sometimes it's actually still the right move. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's worth it to do it. But I think yeah, I I like to think about being more intentional and really sort of like try and zoom the lens out and be as objective and honest as we can and take a little bit of time and see if we can job craft and reimagine in place first. Um, again, this also does not apply to contexts or situations where you're literally in a toxic or dangerous environment. Clearly at that point, do whatever you need to do to leave, to be safe physically, emotionally, psychologically. Another thing that Brandy shared was, you know, that she had been sort of like running these experiments outside of work too, to just see like, can I actually get my nurturer advocate Jones on um, by doing all sorts of things, which I love. I love the fact that you pointed this out earlier, that she's running these experiments already. And I think part of the answer is don't stop, Mm -hmm. you know, because sometimes it really does take a whole number of iterations. And sometimes it's a a matter of shifting the metric also and saying, I'm not going to do this thing, you know, with the intention that it succeeds. My only goal in doing this is to see whether it's going to give me the feeling that I want to feel, to see whether it is going to be an interesting, possible outlet for the thing that lives inside of me that must get out. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. If it is, awesome. Then I can start to explore, like, how do I double into that and what's it going to look like? And if not, well, well, that's actually great too, because now I've sort of like, I get to X that off the list. And the beautiful thing about that is, because what I'm feeling is like a slight amount of dejection. Mm-hmm. The beautiful thing about changing the metric here is that you're, you're never failing anymore. 
Because either way, like when your metric becomes, have I learned something rather than like, I have to try this and it has to succeed. And if it doesn't, well, then it's failed. And maybe I failed. Yes. Your metric is simply like, have I learned something? Well, you have, you know, and even if this isn't the thing, then you, it's still a win. And psychologically, I've just found it's easier to keep going in those situations. I, Cause I know you, you're somebody who has tried a whole lot of different things and you continue to run experiments. Do you have sort of a mindset approach to being able to do that and sustain it? Cause it, it can really be hard. Yeah. I think I love that you brought this up because we are more fragile today too, with, with all of the disruption and the uncertainty that have happened in these past couple of years that everything just feels a lot harder and it feels a lot harder to recover and, and get back in. So I think it's coming back to a conversation that we had earlier around really having the community, which actually is really great for the nurturer to be surrounded by other people that feel nourishing and nurturing to Brandy in these moments because things are not going to go as planned. I literally yesterday was, you know, sending Eeyore gifts to my friends. Like I'm just having one of those dip dark moments and, you know, and just being able to lean in for people that will remember your resiliency and the way that you show up and letting people in on the process of the projects and the experiments that you are trying on, I think is really helpful to have people to, to lean on in those times when something doesn't go as you had planned. Um, I think the reframe of that, it is a learning and a lesson and being able to step back and what worked what didn't work, what might I do differently the next time, that kind of retrospective on these experiments so that there is um, the learning and the lessons. But we need humans and people to lean on when things don't go as planned either, because we're we're gonna we're gonna spiral down to the bottom and hang out with Eeyore and we're gonna have that. But then we're going to recover that even just the processing and and sharing the disappointment, the sadness, the frustration, naming that when it does happen and it doesn't work out and allowing that part of you to be seen from a safe person is really, really helpful for you to then get back and and try something else again. Like then this morning I was like, I got it. I, I did a two hour walk and talk with a friend. And then today I sent another message and I was like, okay, here's what I've learned. And here's why I can see where I went. And I think that that piece of leaning on people during these times of experimentation is really, really important. Yeah, I love that. And it's something that I try and um, do more and more, but um, being a maker and being very um, process driven, I, I also, I, I can get lost really easily in process and forget there's people that I love who really are here for me too. One other thing that really jumped out at me and I think we'll, we'll wrap was she was mentioning how like with the visionary mentality and then working largely in, in larger systems. And he also mentioned that it sounds like some of the experiments that she has been running to see, well, she, can she do this on the side? Clearly she's so service and helping and focused. She's, she really wants to help. But it also, I'm wondering, because she used the words, I often look for opportunities and groups outside of work. And I'm wondering whether part of the exploration here might be what if you actually didn't look to step into somebody else's container? You're already doing that dance as your mainstream thing, right? What if on those side experiments, instead of saying like, like what are the groups or the organizations that are already out there and how can I step into their container? Which means automatically you're sort of like folding yourself into their culture, their rules, their structure, their systems, their process, which for a visionary thinker is often not a comfortable thing. What, like what if you just did some, some visioning and said, huh, like... What if I, what can I do just on my own 
like it's one person or what can I start on my own? How could I actually, how can I actually do some things where I get more say in how, what I, in what the container is, what the structure is, what the rules are. Maybe I even make it all up myself. And maybe it's not part of like a really bigger thing, but maybe it's something simple and discreet. But if it makes a difference for one other being and it gives you the feeling that you want to have, you know, that can actually be really powerful. I'm curious whether you have a take on that as well. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful experiment to lean into. And also Brandy mentioned wanting to feel the impact or the results a lot sooner. And so that can shorten the timeline because of her closeness to the project, to the people or the person. And that I think that would be a really beautiful experience to lean into and 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 just and just try it on and and let it be be a learning in that. I think also even, you know, one step further from that is paying attention to your sparkotype of of, you know, your orientation and how you how you get sparked and lit up and seeing if there's companies out there, organizations that the values are similar or also that the con- the container of people is a lot smaller mm. so that she can feel the like the closeness of the people so that nurture is activated and then also the the visionary like her ideas matter being able to contribute to that something that you know like a startup or something that moves a lot faster and is iterating a lot because we're leaning on the ideas and the close-knit people to kind of wear a lot of hats and, and move pieces forward. Yeah, love that. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? I, you know what? I feel like we really moved around um, with Brandy and, and what her curiosities were. So um, yeah, I feel complete. That feels good too. Well, um, as always, so great to be in conversation with you, Brandy. I hope you found value in this and for everyone listening along, because so often we have shared experiences and questions and the conversations around one person's question or circumstance are relevant to so many others. I hope you found value in this and we will see you next time. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.